When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before Jin's untimely demise at the hands of Darth Maul in Episode 1, Dooku was losing faith in the Republic, and along with it, the Jedi Order for being basically its follower. He saw the corruption of the Senate and felt they were liars. Deep down, he was guided by more ideals than by practical considerations. After he witnessed a crisis that the Republic responded to by dispatching Jedi like disposable attack dogs, their mission ultimately resulting in their deaths. Dooku vowed that if the Republic caused any more needless Jedi deaths, that he would leave the Order for good. A while later, there was another crisis that the Republic mismanaged, and Jedi died. Sticking to his beliefs, he left the Order on his own terms, returning home and requesting access to his family money and title, thus becoming Count Dooku. It was his belief that the Republic had to fall, so that a new government could be reborn. This was the base structure for his turn, and the premise of what Palpatine used to manipulate him. In the Revenge of the Sith novel, Palpatine explains to Anakin that the Jedi would only need one reason to arrest him, and that was for being a Sith Lord. They would have judged him without knowing him because of the philosophical differences. Sidious did meet with Dooku in person on several occasions, manipulating him to the ways of the Sith. Now we should note that the Sith were dead for over a thousand years, so for Dooku, this was the first real Sith Lord he got to speak with, instead of just relying on what the Jedi teach their students, which is that the Sith are liars and pure evil. With the death of Qui-Gon, his master, Count Dooku, had the final straw. This was the final step he needed to complete his turn to the dark side. As we know, Qui-Gon was never a member of the Jedi Council. Why was this? Well, it was his defiance of the Council's ways that caused him to stray clear of their set paths. He felt they abused the Force by making the Force bend to the will of the people and the Senate, rather than the will of the Force itself. It was for this reason that prevented Yoda and the others from admitting his acceptance as a Master on the Council instead of just the Temple. His ideologies of the so-called truth that Dooku spoke of in the scene at the beginning of this video is a clone of his master's way of thinking as well. At the death of Jin, who was like a son to him, Palpatine was well aware of Count Dooku's political preferences and used those to manipulate him into becoming his apprentice. He laid out a plan where Dooku could be the poster boy and trigger behind a massive political revolution that would result in a change of the Republic. As the promise of something new, Dooku knew this was a moment to take a step in the right direction. After all the years he spent helplessly watching as the Republic slowly fell apart before his eyes, this was just the opportunity and offer Dooku needed. Nothing left for him now, he fully gave himself to Palpatine's teachings and to the dark side of the Force, becoming Darth Tyrannus, the one who would reign tyranny on the Jedi. So as you can see, Qui-Gon's death was the final puzzle piece to Dooku turning to the dark side and becoming Sidious's apprentice. It's too bad for him that this sealed his fate in being just a placeholder until Palpatine's manipulation on Anakin was finally complete. 
Hey guys and welcome back to another video. Today we're going to cover Labyrinth of Evil once again. This one is page 180 to 182 and it's going to be covering Count Dooku revealing why he told the Jedi about Sidious in episode 2 and the Sith's future plan to turn Anakin. Now in an earlier video in this series that I'm making covering the Legends book Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno, I went over why Obi-Wan and Yoda believed that on Genosis in Attack of the Clones, Dooku revealed the truth about the existence of Darth Sidious and exposed that he had taken control over the Senate. For those of you who may still be confused about why Dooku did that in the film, today you'll get the answers from Dooku himself, as well as learn what Sidious's original plan was to turn Anakin Skywalker to the dark side. At this point in the book, which takes place right before episode 3, Count Dooku is meeting with his master in a secret location on Coruscant at the abandoned industrial complex called the works. It is where both Darth Maul and Dooku were trained in the dark arts by Sidious. Dooku is meeting with his master there to inform him that after having uncovered Viceroy Newt Gunray's mechno chair that the cowardly Nemoidian uses to communicate to Darth Sidious with, the Republic are beginning to zero in on the Sith's master's civilian identity. An investigation led by two very troublesome Jedi. Here we go. Tell me, who is conducting this search? Dooku exhaled with purpose. Skywalker and Kenobi. Sidious took a long moment to respond. The so-called Chosen One, and a Jedi with enough good fortune to almost make one believe in luck. Without turning from the view, I am displeased by this turn of events, Lord Tyrannus. Greatly displeased. Once Master and Padawan, Kenobi and Skywalker had become the scourge of Dooku's existence. On Genosis, he had deliberately allowed them to pursue him, just as Sidious had instructed him to do. Also as instructed, Dooku had made Kenobi aware of the existence of Darth Sidious, as a means of confusing the Jedi Order by telling them the truth. In the Sloop's docking bay, he had demonstrated his mastery to Kenobi and Skywalker, although Skywalker hadn't been as easily defeated the second time they had dueled. Enraged, the young Jedi had proved a powerful opponent, and Dooku suspected that he had grown only more powerful since Genosis. Long have I watched young Skywalker. Sidious had once admitted, and all the more so of late. Sidious paused to consider something, then said, Yes, I begin to see the blazes along the trail, Skywalker, and Kenobi will follow. Sidious turned to Dooku, grinning malevolently. Their single-mindedness will deliver them into our hands, Lord Tyrannus. We will set our trap for them on theirs three. Dooku allowed his skepticism to show. As remote a world as can be found in known space, my lord. Nevertheless, Kenobi and young Skywalker will find their way to it. Dooku decided to take it on faith. What would you have me do? Nothing more than make arrangements, for you are needed elsewhere. Employ outsiders. It is done. One small addendum. See to it that Obi-Wan Kenobi ceases to be an irritant. Sidious sneered the name. They represent so forceful a threat to our plans. Sidious shook his head. But Skywalker does. And Kenobi. Kenobi has been as a father to him. Orphan Skywalker once and for all. And he will shift. Shift to the dark side. An apprentice? Sidious gazed at him. In good time, Lord Tyrannus. All in good time. So, was revealing the truth at Genosis genius or dangerously irresponsible? I mean, why even take the chance? Why even have the Jedi investigate the Senate at all? So that Palpatine looks that much more clean, assuming the Jedi didn't find anything? If Dooku hadn't mentioned it, 
the idea may never even have occurred to the Jedi. Ultimately, it turned out to work. But is that because the Sith strategy was so clever? Or was Dooku trying to actually tell Obi-Wan and warn the Jedi of what's to come? Was this his way of getting Sidious out of the plan and forming his own? What about Sidious's initial plan to turn Anakin to the dark side? What if Dooku had killed Obi-Wan during his confrontation against the two of them in Revenge of the Sith? Would that have turned Anakin immediately? Or would it have simply pushed or shifted as Sidious likes to put it, the chosen one towards the dark side earlier than what happened in the movie. He would not have ended up in the Darth Vader suit as there would be no duel on Mustafar. But do you believe at this point in Anakin's life, just prior to episode 3, that the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi would have turned him to the dark side? Or was it only saving Padme that could have turned him? Personally, I think his trust would have been completely destroyed with the Jedi had Obi-Wan died. He would have maybe been able to see more of the political agenda that they had more like Dooku and Qui-Gon even, had this possibly happened. But at the end of the day, I don't think anything would have really made Anakin turn to the dark side like it did if it weren't for Padme. It was really all he cared about. When we first encountered Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones, it might be hard to remember. But up until then, he had already trained and served under Darth Sidious as his Sith apprentice for 10 years. Even before Count Dooku began his dark descent, he was considered one of the most powerful and revered Jedi in the Order. So, how did Sidious turn him and instruct an apprentice who was already a master of the Force? And given that Sidious was actually the Republic's Supreme Chancellor and couldn't just disappear for days at a time, where did the two Sith meet to train and plan their next moves? As I'm sure many of you have already guessed, I'm going to attempt to shine some light on those questions by reading from another passage in James Luceno's Labyrinth of Evil, the Legends prequel book to Revenge of the Sith. Now at this particular juncture in the story, Dooku has returned to Coruscant in secret, to a place where bodies go to disappear, a mostly abandoned and burned out industrial district known as the Works. The entire sector might have been demolished if it could have been determined. Here's the excerpt from the novel, and then we can talk about it. The entire sector might have been demolished if it could be determined with any certainty just who owned what. Rumors persisted that hired assassins and crime syndicates had buried so many bodies in the works that it should be considered a cemetery. And yet, Dooku loved the place. The antithesis of his native Sereno, the works was very much a home away from home for the human who had earned the title Darth Tyrannus. One structure in particular, columnar in shape, round-topped, propped by angular ramparts, rising from the defiled core of the works like a stake driven into its heart, strong in the dark side, made so by Darth Sidious. The building had been the place of Dooku's apprenticeship, just as it had served as a training ground for Darth Maul before Dooku. And who knew who or how many other Sith disciples before Maul? During the ten years preceding the outbreak of the war, when Count Dooku of Sereno was believed to have been peddling his separatist agenda to disenfranchised worlds in the Mid and Outer Rims, he had, in fact, spent long periods of time in the works, coming and going at will, or as required of him by Darth Sidious. Even in the three years since, he had been able to visit Coruscant without fear of detection, thanks in part to unique countermeasures that Genosians had engineered into his interstellar sloop. Dooku surveyed the docking bay with a certain fondness, recalling the years he had spent under Sidious's tutelage, learning the ways of the Sith, practicing the dark arts, perfecting himself, mastering evil, Yoda would have said. The problem was partly semantic, in that the Jedi Order had seen to it that the dark side of the Force had become equated with evil, but was shade more evil than stark sunlight? Recognizing that the dark side was on the ascendant, the Jedi, in service to the Force, 
should have known enough to embrace it, to ally themselves with it, after all. It was all a matter of balance, and if the preservation of balance required the dark side to be on top, then so be it. With Dooku, Sidious hadn't had to waste precious hours on lightsaber technique, nor on ridding Dooku of ill habits born of a lifetime spent in the Jedi Temple, for Dooku had long before rid himself of those. Instead, Sidious had focused on giving Dooku what had amounted to a crash course in tapping into the power of the dark side, a mere taste of which had proved intoxicating. Enough to convince Dooku that no course was left open to him but to abandon the order, more that his entire life had been preparation for his apprenticeship to Sidious. That at long last he had found a true mentor. The Sith saw no need to take on only young disciples, though they often did. Sometimes the training went smoother with disciples who had lived long enough to grow disillusioned or angry or vengeful. The Jedi, by contrast, were shackled by compassion. Their penchant for showing mercy, for granting forgiveness, for heeding the dictates of conscience prevented them from giving themselves over to the dark side, from becoming as a force of nature itself. Paranormally strong and quick, capable of conjuring Sith lightning, of exteriorizing rage, all without the need for the magic hand passes the Jedi were so fond of employing. The Sith understood that the elitism and mobsterism of the Republic could be ended only by bringing the diverse beings of the galaxy under the control of a single hand. The galaxy could only be saved from itself by the imposition of order. What fools the Jedi were to not see it, blind to their own downfall, the coming of their end time, what fools. Now, it might be a bit harsh to call the Jedi fools, but, I mean, well, maybe. Either way, he was right. They were blind to their downfall. They were definitely shackled by all of their rules. No compassion, no attachments, this and that. A downfall that began the moment he embraced the dark side. For Dooku, that is. And that's really all it had taken. A mere taste. It's all he needed to convince him to abandon the light and the Jedi. I wonder if the Sith could have been training their apprentices in the works, right under the Jedi's noses for thousands of years. Maybe the work's history with the Sith is even older than that. Much older. But I'm curious who those other disciples that Sidious trained could have been, if there were any. Maybe him and Plagueis trained there. Did you know that Plagueis had seven other potential apprentices throughout the galaxy? I've covered that in another video. What do you guys think of Dooku's view about the Force? That the dark side is a literal force of nature, and thus can't be any more evil or good than the light. Is the dark side really evil? Or is its power so intoxicating that it's the evil within its practitioners that causes evil things? Could there be, and herein lies the theory, who is so incorruptible that they can use the dark side for good? Also, was Dooku right? Could there be balance with the dark side on top? Why does it have to be the light? And if so, did Anakin bring the force into balance twice? First to the dark, then to the light. I thought it was also interesting that Dooku received a crash course into the power of the dark side. Now, in many ways, that was the nature of how Luke Skywalker was trained too, in the light. A crash course to become a Jedi. If a being is sufficiently powerful enough in the Force, they can ascend through more unorthodox means, it seems. So it kind of makes me wonder just how powerful Dooku would have become if he had trained under Sidious from the very start. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another video. Today we're going to be covering an old yet very popular series that I started on the channel about a year ago. It's from the book Star Wars The Secrets of the Jedi by Insight Editions. Now, I call it Luke's point of view because everything in the book is a canon point of view of all of these characters, force powers, and places that is listed and explained. It's a really interesting take on a book because it actually gives you his point of view on all of these things, whereas a book would just typically explain things from a third-person point of view. Whereas this one is directly from Luke's. Today we're going to be covering his point of view 
on Count Dooku, Darth Tyrannus. Where did Luke get all this information? Well, that can be theorized in another video, but for myself, I like to believe that he got all of this stuff from the Jedi texts. As we know, he did scour the galaxy between episode 6 and 7, looking for different holocrons and ancient scrolls, so the things he has found and learned about is endless. Here are his thoughts on Count Dooku. Count Dooku was a former Jedi Master and a respected statesman in the Galactic Republic. He also became Darth Sidious' second apprentice after Darth Maul's presumed demise, a former Padawan of Master Yoda himself. Dooku had grown frustrated with the corruption he saw spreading through the galaxy's highest powers. He took matters into his own hands, renouncing the Jedi Order and turning against the Republic. As Darth Tyrannus, he was instrumental in pulling the political strings that eventually led to the Clone Wars. Tyrannus was executed in cold blood by my father, who would soon take Tyrannus' place as Darth Sidious' final apprentice. Now, what I like about this is that, first of all, of course, he acknowledges that his father was the one that killed Dooku. So he knows plain and simple what happened there. How he knows, well, I can theorize, but I really would like for them to go into detail on that someday. What I also like is that there was tons of frustration with how Dooku felt regarding the corruption that he saw spreading through the galaxy's highest powers. Meaning, the Jedi were very dogmatic in their views, and they kind of renounced the Force and sort of just followed the Republic and believed themselves to be peacekeepers, but really they were just war heroes. Or as Luke would say, great warriors, which Yoda would in turn reply, war does not make one great. Now Dooku's a really interesting character, because he's not your typical Sith Lord that's super hungry for the power of the dark side. In fact, he was only really given a crash course by Sidious. If you've seen some of the videos where I've covered the book Labyrinth of Evil, you'd know this. Dooku wasn't given all the training that Maul got, or even Anakin, or should I say Vader. He was really just given a quick crash course on how to become a Sith Lord, and use the dark side powers, which he already was so in tuned with when he entered, should we say, Sithhood. Now, Dooku was a very highly respected Jedi Master, and he was one of the best swordsmen in the entire galaxy. So he was a great loss to the Council and a great asset to Sidious. That combined with his high force powers, he was a very dangerous being. Not to mention, he was also the master to my favorite Jedi, Qui-Gon Jinn. And it's to no surprise that Qui-Gon somewhat followed in a similar footstep as Count Dooku. Qui-Gon was a master, but he didn't have a seat on the Council because he was so rebellious against their wishes. He often strayed away from what they told him to do and just followed his instincts and really listened to the Force, which is what a true Jedi Master was before the Jedi took it and changed things and corrupted things. If it wasn't for Qui-Gon, Anakin would not be around. And there was also another video that I made where I explained Anakin actually theorizes for himself what his life would have been like if he wasn't a Jedi, if Qui-Gon had never found him. He basically said to himself he would just become a master pilot and become really famous through that. But he'd never know the Force, and he'd never know a lightsaber. and He'd never know the life that he has today, at least during the Clone Wars when he was explaining it. I wonder if Dooku and Luke would have gotten along. Makes you wonder. I hope one day we'll get to know just exactly how Luke found all this information and his deeper thoughts on all of these different people throughout the galaxy. Jedi Master Dooku was one of the most highly respected Jedi and duelists on the Council. He was a big loss when he decided to leave the Order on account of seeing their dogmatic ways kill too many Jedi for the sake of the Republic's political demands. Once returning to his home of extremely affluent nature, he ended up finally succumbing to Palpatine's persuasion into the dark side of the Force and became known to the galaxy as Darth Tyrannus, the one who brought tyranny to all. 
Among his old school nature, he chose to wear only the finest of clothing, such as specially made rancor skinned boots and finely woven protective garments. Among these prestigious and carefully selected items, we come to the focus of his lightsaber. Darth Maul attracted much attention partially due to his double-bladed weapon, which resembled his vicious and aggressive fighting style, which was relentless and overwhelming just like his lightsaber. So what was the reason for Dooku's curved hilt? Well, we'll first start with his lightsaber fighting style. Being a master of the form to Makashi, which focused on purely duelist to duelist type of fighting, harnessing one's ability to wield the saber through immense efficiency and precision. This caused him, just like his old-fashioned clothing, to carefully custom-design his lightsaber to his preference and liking. It suited him perfectly, as the respectable man that he was, regardless of which side of the force that he chose. The use of curved hilts allowed for more precise movements as well as near-perfect flexibility when engaged in lightsaber-to-lightsaber -lightsaber combat. It was also more complex and gave the creator of such a hilt more of a challenge in aligning the crystals, which you can imagine would be difficult. This was perfect for Dooku's ego. Added to this, it required a minor variation in holding the grip. Curved hilts needed to be held more in the palm rather than from the fingertips like a normal lightsaber. The hilt's curvature also gave the wielder more power when delivering overhand strikes, and in doing so, would alter the angle of the attacks by the merest fraction of a degree. This was usually just enough to confuse and disorient an unsuspecting opponent, which proved to be evident in his duel against Obi-Wan and Anakin on Genosis in Episode 2. Also added to that duel, Dooku was just that much more well-versed with lightsaber combat, and overall just a better fighter, at least at the time. However, the hilt style wasn't limited to just Form 2 users. Anakin used a curved hilt with Form 5 to great success. During his first duel against Asajj Ventress, after being disarmed, he stole one of Ventress's lightsabers and defeated her with it, despite not having any training with the hilt style. The only weakness to this lightsaber hilt was deflecting blaster bolts, in which the same weakness belonged to Form 2. However, due to Dooku's blade mastery and experience in the Force, he could fend off many blasts to save his life. Here's a bonus fact, did you know that Darth Bane also used a curved lightsaber at one point in his lifetime? Have you guys ever wondered about the peculiarity of Dooku's lightsaber? It was for sure a little bit different, and I've covered in a lot of different videos about why he had it this way. It was a much more old-fashioned style for fencing, and actually the actor who played Dooku, Christopher Lee, was very, very skilled in fencing himself. So when the swordsmen behind the film saw him, they said, well, let's give you a one-handed lightsaber style. Anyways, the curved lightsaber provides more power on his downswing and allows for obviously just a different, more interesting look. As we can see here, we can see the activator and the different grips and all this and that. Pretty basic. However, there was one button at the very top that other lightsabers did not have. This button was a thumb trigger that can shorten the blade instantly for short-range surprise attacks. So let's say Dooku was fighting against someone and his lightsaber was locked, like he was here against Anakin. And this also just proves to the fact that he could have killed Anakin in this moment, but he was merely testing him as part of Palpatine's plan. He could have easily hit this button, 
retracted his lightsaber, moved out of the way, and it would have just been at half or even a quarter of the length, and he would have just killed Anakin very easily. Dooku was one of the best swordsmen in the entire galaxy for the Jedi, and even the Sith. He was unbelievably advanced in terms of lightsaber to lightsaber combat. However, in the end, it was Anakin's strong offense that eventually got him off his guard and while well, he lost his hands. Now, if Dooku were fighting at his best ability, I'm not too sure if Anakin would have really beat him. He wasn't fighting against Anakin with everything that he had like he was against Yoda, his former master. And by the time he realized it's too late to start trying hard, it was, well, too late. Now another thing interesting from his lightsaber is of course the emitter guard. This prevented anything from happening such as his hand getting hit by the lightsaber with this guard in place. Other lightsabers actually do have this, it's not so much a button, but they have a knob that can shorten and lengthen the actual lightsaber blade. But to have a shortcut button like this that would just retract immediately to a certain height is something that the other lightsabers did not possess. Now before this video ends, let me briefly explain why Dooku's fighting style was so good. I mean, besides the fact that he was very skilled at it, the form was something that was outdated at the time because it was created during the Old Republic, long before the Sith had the rule of two. And because of this, not many modern Jedi had experienced dueling another lightsaber opponent with this form, but Dooku practiced this style his entire life. His proficiency, as well as his unfamiliar fighting form, made him one of the most dangerous lightsaber duelists on both sides of the Sith and Jedi. Count Dooku, the most respected Jedi formerly on the Council, and master of one of my most favorite characters in Star Wars, Qui-Gon Jinn. While he was one of the most respected and valuable Jedi on the Council, he eventually left due to not believing in their values anymore. They were too corrupt by believing too much in the Republic and becoming too political and doing all their dealings. So eventually, Dooku left due to his own ideologies and the persuasion of Darth Sidious. And then the final blow was Qui-Gon Jinn, his apprentice, dying. Count Dooku was no stranger to lightsaber fighting. Having mastered Makashi, the second form, which dealt with lightsaber to lightsaber combat mastery, it was no surprise that he was trained by none other than Yoda himself. Mastering lightsaber combat so well, he eventually advanced to an elegant shaped curved hilt, which allowed him to put more power into the downswing of his attacks. Now here's a fun fact, Sir Christopher Lee, the actor who plays Count Dooku, was very very masterful and proficient in fencing. So obviously the stunt choreographer for episode 2 and 3 took this to his advantage and basically gave Dooku this one-handed style of fighting, which reflected his fencing perfectly. In Attack of the Clones, he took out Obi-Wan, then Anakin Skywalker. In Revenge of the Sith, Anakin unleashed his darkness, harnessed his rage, and defeated Dooku, taking his hands and beheading him with his own lightsaber. So what happened to it? Well, after Anakin chopped his hands off, grabbed his saber midair, and then sliced his head off, we can see in this shot, as he goes to rescue Obi-Wan, that Dooku's lightsaber, along with his hands, head, and lifeless body, all lay on the ground. Here's an excerpt from the novel. Now he stood over a headless corpse that he couldn't bear to see, but he couldn't make himself look away. And he knew it hadn't been a dream at all, that he'd really done this. The blades were still in his hands, and the ocean of wrong he'd dived into had closed over his head, and he was drowning. The dead man's lightsaber tumbled from his loosening fingers. I... I couldn't stop myself. Right there we have proof that he dropped the lightsaber in shock of what he just did, and then left it there. As he piloted the ship after fighting Grievous down onto Coruscant, the tail end of it split off and then was destroyed. Now this tail end was where Dooku's lightsaber was, and unfortunately it went up in flames. I personally would have liked for Anakin to take it with him, partially because it was just a unique lightsaber and I don't know, it just looked so cool, but mainly to present it to the council and pretty much insinuate a promotion to master. 
Dooku's lightsaber to this day is still one of my favorites, and I think it's super unique. The rise of Dark Jedi plagued the Order with many new challenges, and among these challenges was how to outwit enemy force users in lightsaber duels. But there was a problem. Since the lightsaber was created millennia ago, the Jedi Order had only used one simple technique in combat. This was known as Shi Cho, or Form 1, and it was almost entirely useless when it came to dueling other lightsaber-wielding combatants. After all, the Jedi held a monopoly on the weapon, and they arrogantly never expected to face off against splinter groups of their own community. Now, Form 1 reflected their short-sightedness. That first technique relied far too much on a Jedi's natural connection to the Force, and their ability to use it to direct their actions. Without a series of specific deadly moves, watching any Form 1 duelist was akin to watching a youngling wildly deflect blaster bolts from a training droid. Desperate for a way to defeat the ever-increasing Sith and Dark Jedi left in the wake of their great schisms, the Jedi took their dueling halls and developed Makashi, Form 2. So what exactly was Form 2, and why did it suddenly disappear, nearly a thousand years before the rise of Darth Sidious's new galactic empire? When we look at Makashi, it's tempting to describe the martial art as an entirely reactionary new form. Much of what makes it unique was based on the glaring weaknesses present in Shi Cho or Form 1. While Form 1 dissuaded its practitioners from killing their opponents and instead focused on simply disarming them if they could, Form 2 taught the opposite. Among Form 2's primary objectives was preventing an enemy from slicing your lightsaber out of your hand. And since Makashi fell into favor with early Sith and Dark Jedi, it's not hard to see how the precision-based lightsaber technique allowed its practitioners to kill their opponents far more easily than Form 1. After all, Shiak, the piercing motion of plunging the point of a lightsaber through an opponent's body, as opposed to slicing at it, was one of Form 2's primary goals. As we describe the disparity between the lightsaber dueling techniques, it might be hard to imagine just how different they are with words alone. So just take a look at their most famous practitioners, and you'll be able to see the difference. By the modern era, Form 1 was almost entirely relegated to younglings, as the beginner form that all newly initiated Jedi were mandated to study. The only high-ranking master who even cared to become an expert in it was Kit Fisto. Throughout the Clone Wars, the Nautilin Master showed just how powerful Form 1 could be when wielded in the right way, able to deflect blaster fire from multiple enemies in the midst of a battle and take on several melee options at once. The far less precise but liberal style of Form 1 was perfect for taking on several lesser skilled enemies at once. But when we look at Form 2's most famous master, we see an entirely different tale. Count Dooku was one of the only Form 2 experts alive during the Clone Wars, and he also happened to be among the greatest duelists in the galaxy. Empowered by his own great strength in the Force, and also the dark side, Dooku used Form 2 to easily defeat Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and even Darth Maul in combat. In his small but precise strikes and parries, you can see just how different Makashi was to other lightsaber techniques. The Sith Lord often remarked that lightsaber dueling was about precision and control, both attributes that Makashi focused on. But there's a reason Count Dooku was one of the few remaining Form 2 masters by the Clone Wars. By Palpatine's era, the Sith had hidden themselves for an entire millennium. That meant the Jedi didn't have to worry about fighting lightsaber-wielding opponents in battle, and instead were far more likely to face a group of blaster-toting mercenaries or Outer Rim criminals. 
Form 2 was perfect for one-on-one -on -one duels, but it was awful for taking on several opponents at once, and even worse at defending against conventional weapons like the EE-3 carbine rifle or the A310 carbine. The Battle of Rusan in 1000 BBY led Darth Bane to create the Rule of Two and caused Sith to all but vanish from the galaxy nearly taking Form 2 into obscurity with it. Although the Jedi continued to teach it at their temple, aspiring young Padawans turned their attention away from the art of dueling Sith. After a while, the prospect of having to defend oneself from a dark side user was so preposterous that Form 2, like Form 1, was regarded as an ancient holdover from a long, long time ago. But a few of Makashi's moves, like their ability to prevent Sun Diem, the disarming maneuver, were preserved in almost all forms. In addition to the lack of actual lightsaber-wielding enemies, Form 2 fell out of favor for another reason. If you were strong enough, you could just hack your way to victory against a Makashi Master. If you look at Dooku's precise, deliberate dueling style, you can see that he doesn't really create a lot of momentum for himself. That lack of movement, while perfect for getting the upper hand on a less skilled opponent, was hard to utilize when facing down a towering Wookiee Jedi, like Tevoka. Plo Koon's master. Since the Jedi often found themselves pitted against far more powerful opponents, it was important that they utilized a lightsaber technique that made the most of their typically smaller stature. Now, when going against Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith on the Invisible Hand ship, Anakin's Form 5 Dem So, which we will eventually go over, proved to be too powerful and aggressive now that he had somewhat mastered it against Dooku. That coupled with the fact that, well, he was Anakin Skywalker and extremely powerful in the dark side, which he was now tapping into at that moment, Dooku was no match for him. And on top of all that, he was actually just supposed to be sparring with Skywalker, just merely testing him as per orders of Palpatine. Ultimately, the legacy of Form 2 is one that changes the ebb and flow of dark side enemies that popped up around the galaxy. When the Sith re-emerged, that is as they did during Exar Kun's Siege of Onderon, or later during the Brotherhood of Darkness's reign in 1032 BBY. Form 2 also soared in popularity. But when the Sith were defeated and the galaxy was at peace, Makashi, the way of the Asalamari, disappeared as well. Did you guys know Dooku was one of the best lightsaber duelists in the entire galaxy? And a little unknown or known fact is that Sir Christopher Lee, who played Count Dooku, was actually a champion swordsman. He was a fencer. And so in the prequels, Nick Gillard, the swordmaster who did all the choreography for the fights, assigned different fighting styles to the different actors and characters, of course. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with him and Sir Christopher Lee's conversations regarding fencing and swordplay. Hey guys, so in today's continuation of the new Dooku canon comic, we cover the story of Dooku after his turn to the dark side, where no one knows he is a Sith Lord just yet. They all think he's just retired back to his home of Serrano with all of his family money, and now is living as Count Dooku, nobleman and ex-Jedi Master. Picking up where we left off in yesterday's video where Dooku was sent to do Sidious' bidding to basically hijack an arms dealer, which would later be used for the Separatist droids, most likely. We see him converse with Tony the Tiger Jedi, who I might add is the first Jedi to actually acknowledge and find out that Dooku is a Sith Lord now. 
Now, as Sidious basically tells Dooku to befriend this Jedi Knight and get to know him a little better so that he doesn't foil their plan, Dooku does exactly that and says that he's going to help the Jedi with his mission that the Council has sent him on. So basically, the Jedi is sent here to infiltrate this arms dealer where Dooku is there to infiltrate him as well, but obviously to take advantage of him and take all the guns for himself, or rather for the Separatist army. Dooku basically spins it like this. He says, my young Jedi, even if I weren't concerned for your safety, I do have a rather sizable financial investment on this world. As they leap over skyscrapers to get to the place that the Jedi leads them to, they are immediately ambushed. As Jedi Jackson slices the door, him and Dooku are immediately hit with blaster fire. Walking in, they realize that this was a place held with armory. Drop that lightsaber! We're surrounded, aren't we? For the moment, says Count Dooku as he grabs his red lightsaber and ignites it. But I don't believe the moment will last. What? As the Jedi looks in astonishment, he doesn't have time to process what he just saw. He starts to deflect the blasts with Dooku, killing everyone, until finally, where did you get that? I made it, of course. Dooku raises a blaster and shoots it through the Jedi's chest. Pity. I have come to discuss a business arrangement with your organization, or what remains of it. Who? Who are you? I am but an agent of your new master. I trust that you understand me. Yes. Yes, we do. Good. And basically, that's the end of the comic. Dooku leaves back to Palpatine, and he has control of these guns now, and all this armory. So we know what they're going to be used for. Hey everyone, and welcome to this video. I hope you're going to enjoy this one, because it's actually pretty interesting, and all the information is canon. So, here we go. Count Dooku is a Sith Lord with a long, complicated history of family troubles. So, it's no wonder that they played a big role in his fall to the dark side. In the canon audiobook, Dooku Jedi Lost, we learn not only about these relationships, but how Dooku ended them on his journey into darkness. Dooku, which is his first name, by the way, not his last name, was born on the outer rim planet of Sereno. To Count Gorgon, Gora and Countess Anya. When he was just a baby, Count Gora discovered that Dooku was Force-sensitive. But instead of being a proud father, Count Gora flipped out and left baby Dooku naked outside the castle walls among the spine wolves and simply contacted the Jedi, telling them to come pick him up and that he never wanted to see him again. Fortunately for Dooku, he didn't know anything about this as he grew up in the Jedi Temple. But years later, while he was still a youngling, Dooku returned to Sereno with some Jedi Masters and accidentally came into contact with his long-lost sister and brother, Jenza and Ramil. Ramil was like his father and thought that Dooku was a freak for using the Force. But Jenza was fascinated by Dooku's skills, and the two started a long relationship throughout his training as a Jedi. Even though this was highly against the Jedi Code, he still did it anyways. They communicated in secret for years, and Dooku told her all about his training, and she told him everything going on at home. They formed the strongest bond that Dooku would ever have with anyone. If you want to see how this attachment began his descent to the dark side, definitely check out my video about that, which is going to come after this. Throughout the years, Dooku returned to Sereno on a few occasions for Jedi business, and also went beyond his mandate to investigate a plot to kill his brother in a pod race. Dooku's mother, Anya, was the first of his family to die when he was probably in his 20s. He went to the funeral to, quote, ensure the peace. 
and boy, did he find anything but peace. Some people protested at her funeral, which infuriated Count Gora so much that he unleashed an army of security droids on the people. So as things slowly fell apart on Sereno and Count Gora gradually became more of a dictator and against the Republic, Dooku became more disillusioned with the Jedi and even came to sit on the council. Dooku saw the order as totally ineffective and a pawn of politics rather than actually wanting to affect real change in the galaxy. He would continue to foster his relationship with Jenza, his sister, but never really cared for his brother and his immense arrogance. Finally, his dad died and Ramil became Count and took up a legacy of hate towards the Republic. Ramil stopped paying Republic taxes, so when the planet was invaded by Ibisan mercenaries, Jenza contacted Dooku and pleaded for his and the Jedi's help. But because Ramil had stopped paying taxes and proclaimed Sereno autonomous, the Republic and the Jedi refused to go help him. Dooku was straight up furious. This inaction broke the idealistic Dooku's faith in the Jedi, and he went to help Sereno without their approval, along with Masters Costana and Sifo-Dyas. When they arrive, the planet is in complete disarray. Dooku and the others fight the Ibisons until Ramil shows up with his thousands of security droids and win the battle. The war isn't over, because Ramil then captures Dooku and tortures him on his ship. He learns that Ramil actually hired the Ibisons to invade Sereno, so that he could save the day and prove to them that they didn't need the Republic's help to survive, and that they should secede. Sereno would then be a world of its own power. Now the point of Ramil's plan was to frame Dooku, a Jedi Master, murdering his sister Jenza, and then broadcasting the entire murder, being committed with Dooku's lightsaber, so that people will be against the Jedi and Republic forever. But we all know, you don't mess with Master Dooku. He becomes one with the Force and the Dark Side, and overcomes the immense torture that had been clouding his mind, and uses the Force to take control of an ancient dragon-like beast called the Tirataka. A beast so huge and powerful that the Sith controlled it in ancient wars on Sereno. Dooku makes the Terataka burst forth from the ground and kill Ramil's entire army of droids. Dooku then summons his lightsaber through the hull of the ship and kills his brother. After the carnage, they discover that when the beast came up from the ground, he brought vast amounts of very valuable ore. Master Costana says the Republic will definitely come now and offer aid so that they can possess it. Sereno is saved, except Dooku doesn't like that the Republic only comes when it's good for them, and he says that Sereno can process it themselves. But Dooku knows that his planet is in chaos without any ruler now that Ramil, his brother, is dead. However, Dooku is the senior member of the ruling house, and he proclaims that he is leaving the Jedi Order and that he is now Count Dooku of Sereno. Dooku and Jenza's relationship continues on as the last remaining members of Clan Sereno. They begin to drift apart though, as Dooku becomes more vocal about leaving the Republic and encourages other systems to do the same. Jenza is kidnapped in order to lure Dooku, so Dooku sends Asajj Ventress to rescue her. Jenza barely survives the ordeal and begs Dooku to stop his feud with the Republic and the Jedi in general. She begs for him to bring Sereno back. Biggest of all though, she begs for him to stop listening to the man in the cloak, who we all know is Palpatine, you know, Darth Sidious. She says he's only using him and doesn't have his best interest at heart. In short, Jenza begs him to be the brother that she loves, not the one that he has become. To Dooku, though, his new life as a Sith has become his future. Regardless of who his family is or was, his last step in becoming a Sith is to 
rid himself of all ties to them. He orders Asajj to assassinate her. Genza can't believe it and begs for her life, but it's cut short by Asajj's blade. Dooku hardly blinks an eye. He leaves and tells Asajj to destroy the body. His descent to the dark side is now utterly complete. So, what do you guys think? This was a very dark and grim tale, but it is canon, and it is true, and it shows us the backstory of Dooku, and basically his rise and fall as a Jedi, sort of, in a very condensed sense. Now, throughout the book, Dooku is actually very relatable, but once you get to this point, you see how truly selfish and consumed by the dark side he had become. Yoda was surely disappointed and heartbroken that his pupil student had become the very thing he swore to destroy. Count Dooku became a Sith after he had been on the Jedi Council for many years. Before that, he had grown up in the temple from the time that he was a baby. Dooku called the Jedi his family. He grew up in a family of light side of force users, so you'd think his transition to the dark side would be quite difficult. But we learn in the new audiobook, Dooku Jedi Lost, that Dooku received instruction in ways of the Sith from the time that he was a youngling in the temple. Not from Yoda, but from a Jedi master named Lin Costana. I've mentioned Master Costana in a variety of other videos since she played such a pivotal role in Dooku's training, but I wanted to do a video just about her since she's so fascinating and because I'd like to see more of her. Costana was a female, Altiri Jedi Master, who served the Order prior to Episode 1. She had the unique job of searching the galaxy for Sith artifacts to be stored in the Bogan collection of the Jedi Archives, a place that only Masters could go. She performed these searches not because the Council told her to, but because she felt the Sith were about to return and that the Jedi Order needed to be prepared for it. In fact, the Council and her never really saw eye to eye about anything, especially the Sith artifacts. She even calls Yoda an old goblin behind his back and thought it was ridiculous that he wouldn't let her study the prophecies about the Sith. She insisted to Yoda, something's coming, Master Yoda. I can feel it? Asks Yoda. Unfortunately for her, despite years of searching, she found very little relics or evidence, mostly probably because Sidious or Plagueis were so good at covering their tracks. But she did learn a lot about the dark side and taught everything that she knew. When Dooku was still a youngling, he and his best friend, Sifo-Dyas, which I just made a video on yesterday, hope you enjoyed it, broke into the Bogan collection to see what was there. While they were there, Dooku saw a vision of a Tirataka, a giant dragon-like creature that the ancient Sith controlled on Dooku's home planet of Sereno. Dooku would later control the same creature with the Force to kill his older brother. But that's another story, so check out my video about that. But back to when Dooku was an initiate, Master Kostana was very intrigued that the Bogun collection would trigger such a Force nightmare in young Dooku. So she placed some Sith manuscript pages into Sifo-Dyas's book for both initiates to find. Dooku believed this was a sign that she was trying to convert them to the Sith. So Dooku takes his lightsaber and confronts her. Just imagine, a little youngling confronting a Jedi Master and challenging them to a duel. It's kind of funny. Anyways, Dooku thinks that she's a Sith and a attacks her. Kostana is impressed by Dooku's skills and makes up a tale about a fictional Darth Sikaea who also used a curved hilted lightsaber. Dooku presses his attack more and more until Kostana actually gets a little scared of the fury and darkness within Dooku. Yoda finally arrives and stops the fight and tells Dooku that it was all a test to see how Dooku would react and to teach him that the darkness he felt within Kostana was actually within Dooku himself. In other words, Dooku had to be careful to not let his inner darkness control him. This is kind of like Mace Windu how he had a darkness within him, and he used Vapod, he created Vapod, which was a variant of the seventh lightsaber fighting form to harness the dark side within him, or channel it. Dooku's fascination with Master Kostana never went away. He originally wanted her to choose him as her Padawan, and was disappointed when she chose Sifo-Dyas instead. However, because Yoda wasn't the most ever-present master due to his role as Grandmaster, 
Dooku spent a lot of time with Master Kostana and Saifo Dias over the years. Now, here's where she teaches him about the Sith, and I want to clarify something very clear. She does not teach him how to be a Sith, but rather teaches him about the Sith and the dark side, so he can know how to defeat it since she believed that they would eventually return and the Jedi had to be ready. She saw the dark side within Dooku and believed that he would either be a powerful weapon against the Sith or could be a powerful weapon for the Sith. She did not want Dooku to grow up to be the dogmatic, narrow view of the Jedi, which would contribute to Anakin's downfall years later. For instance, Master Kostana taught Dooku animal kinship, which is the force power of bonding with animals, and also taught him how the Sith used it to force animals to do their will. She did this so Dooku would know what not to do. Check out my video about this power for more info. I'm going to release it around this one. Ironically, Dooku does delve into the dark side to control the Tirataka when he forces it to defeat his brother's droid army. On another journey, Kostana, Dooku, and Saifo Dias travel to the planet of Karazak to scour the black market for rumored Sith relics there. In the years of Dooku's time as a Jedi, the Bogan collection doubled in size and the amount of Sith artifacts being sold on the black market, most fake and worthless, exploded. Kostana felt that all it would take would be one genuine artifact from falling into the wrong hands to be a destructive force against the Jedi. While they are there on Karazak, the Jedi are captured by a dark side cult called the Presagers. I also did a video on this, but basically, during the attack, Dooku sees many possibilities of the future and uses Force Lightning for the first time to kill them all and save Sifo and Kostana. Kostana helps Dooku see what he did, how to control it, and most importantly, vows to keep it a secret from Yoda and the Jedi Council. She feels that Dooku needs time to figure out how to control the Lightning so that he may never dive that far into the dark side and do it again. She also teaches him about seeing the future and how force visions are never a guarantee of what is to come. She teaches him that the dark side tries to control the future while the Jedi try to do the will of the force. Master Kostana is later with Dooku on Sereno when Dooku leaves the Jedi Order. She says they'll always be there for him but as far as we know they never see each other again. But her influence on Dooku is undeniable. So why is she so fascinating? Well to start she's not your typical Jedi. The typical Jedi never studied the Sith because there was no chance of them returning. Most Jedi also followed the Jedi code that they wouldn't keep secrets like a Jedi using force lightning from the council. So I'm anxious to know what happens to Master Kostana. Does she find out about the return of the Sith and Plagueis and Sidious have to take her out if, you know, Plagueis is back to being canon, which I hope he is. Perhaps she is someone Maul has to kill prior to episode one. Does Dooku try to convert her to the dark side like he does to convert Rail Avaros, his former apprentice? I want to see more of her. What do you guys think? Do you think she's around when episode one happens or does she meet her end prior to that. Hey everyone, hope you're doing well today. Today we're going to cover another excerpt from The Labyrinth of Evil, which takes place just before Revenge of the Sith. This one covers a pretty interesting topic. Well, I pretty much say that about every one of my videos, but I mean... I try to choose only interesting topics, so I guess that's why. But anyways, today's is about Count Dooku and his thoughts on the Chosen One. So, unlike his former apprentice, Qui-Gon Jinn, Count Dooku was far more skeptical, even, one could argue, contemptuous of the prophecy of the Chosen One. Or at least he was with the notion that Anakin Skywalker was the being that would bring balance to the Force. The reason it couldn't be Anakin, in Dooku's view, had all to do with the life circumstances Anakin was born into. Now I'm going to explain. But first, I'm going to read another passage from Labyrinth of Evil by James Luceno, which in the old EU told the story of Anakin and Obi-Wan's adventures just prior to the beginning of Episode 3. At this particular moment, Count Dooku is reflecting on his disappointment with the Jedi and their reliance on the Chosen One prophecy. They waited for the Chosen One to be born. 
mistakenly believing that only he or she would be capable of restoring balance. Such was the danger of prophecy. It was into such times that Dooku had been born, placed because of such a strong connection to the Force among an order that had grown complacent, self-involved, arrogant about the power they wielded in the name of the Republic. Turning a blind eye to injustices, the Republic had little interest in eradicating because of profitable deals forged among those who held the reins of command. While midichlorians determined to some degree a Jedi's ability to use the Force, other inherited characteristics also played a part, notwithstanding the Temple's best efforts to eradicate them. Having hailed from nobility and great wealth, Dooku yearned for prestige, even as a youngster. He had been obsessed with learning all he could about the Sith and the dark side of the Force. He had towed the Jedi line, become the Temple's most agile swordsmaster and instructor, and yet the markings of his eventual transformation had been there from the start. Without the Jedi ever realizing it, Dooku had been as disruptive to the Order as would be a young boy raised in slavery on Tatooine. Now one of the things that's interesting about Count Dooku is how George Lucas purposely created the character to be an older, colder, more jaded reflection of Anakin Skywalker. As both the Count and Skywalker were prodigies of the Force, exceptional duelists and amongst the best of their generation, perhaps any. Plus there's the fact that they both fell to the dark side. Therefore in many ways, they are parallels of each other. So when Dooku says he was just as big a disruption to the Jedi Order as Anakin, it could be that somewhere deep in his own head, Dooku might believe that it's him who is the chosen one, and jealousy is what drives his dismal of Skywalker. You see, when he brings up other inherited characteristics, he doesn't mean Anakin's unusually high midichlorian count, though he acknowledges their importance as an indicator of the strength of a Force-sensitive's connection to the universal energy. Other traits are necessary to truly stand out, or so Dooku believes. And for the Count of Sereno, that extra ingredient is the station in life you are born into. Blue blood, as they say. Dooku's aristocratic heritage, to him, makes him superior to a slave from Tatooine. Now, Dooku is wrong, of course. The Force doesn't discriminate on a being's class based on how much money you have or where you come from. Jedi and Sith have come from all corners of life in the galaxy, Anakin being a prime example of that. He was born into slavery and was the actual chosen one. But even though Force sensitives appear from all walks of life, there are also powerful Force legacies. The most famous example, of course, being the Skywalkers. So, not blue blood, but Jedi blood. Heritage does play a factor too. That's why Darth Plagueis' parents were carefully selected. Now I do wonder what would have come of Dooku and Sidious' partnership if Anakin had died in the Clone Wars. If Count Dooku became second in command of the Empire and not Vader. But of course, Dooku was never meant to go that far with Sidious. He was merely just a tool. How would he have planned to usurp his master and do you think he would have ever made for a better or worse emperor than Sidious? What does Emperor Dooku look like? The Dooku Empire, if you will. There's an excerpt about that in the Revenge of the Sith novel on Dooku's plans had he survived his fight with Anakin, which I'm going to get into in another video. It's quite interesting. Hey guys, how are you all doing today? So. Have you ever wondered what Count Dooku's original plan was had he not died at Anakin's blades? What if he had gone to see his vision through? Surely, his point of existence at this age of about 70 wasn't just to be Palpatine's loyal servant forever. He had aspirations and goals as the face of the Separatist movement. Well, none better than Count Dooku himself to hear it from in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. So here we go. Dooku would serve as an empire of man. And he would serve it only as he could, as he was born to. He would smash the Jedi Order to create it anew, not shackled by the corrupt, narcissistic, shabby little beings who called themselves politicians, but free to bring true authority and peace 
to a galaxy that so badly needed both. An order that would not negotiate. An order that would enforce. The survivors of the Jedi Order would become the Sith Army, the Fist of the Empire. And that fist would become a power beyond any Jedi's darkest dreams. The Jedi were not the only users of the Force in the galaxy. From Heps to Harun Kal, from Kifu to Dathomir, powerful Force-capable humans and near-humans had long refused to surrender their children to lifelong-bound servitude in the Jedi Order. They would not so refuse the Sith army. They would not have the choice. So Dooku's plan, of course, first was not to die. Secondly, it was to win as the Separatist army. He would then want to take over the Jedi Temple, or at least create a new one basically, and exterminate all who wouldn't conform to his new rule, and those that would survive the takeover would be turned into part of his Sith army. Just like the Old Republic where there was no force on the rule of two, it was just an army of Sith and a battalion of Jedi, two opposing ideas and forces waging war on one another. This was Dooku's plan, to create a fist of the Empire, to wipe out any Jedi in their path and rule the galaxy. All four sensitive children would be hunted down and recruited to becoming a Sith at his school. So basically, Dooku wants to become a Professor Xavier, kind of, but for his school of Sith students, or rather, Sith students-to-be. Now, that would be a really cool and fun alternate universe. Just imagine, he opens up this temple and trains four sensitive children of the galaxy to become Sith, teaching them, you know, how to shoot Force Lightning, to release their hatred upon the enemy, and so on and so forth. That'd be a pretty sweet comic series. Maybe I'll make a fanfiction if we don't get that in the future. I always love seeing the original plans of the characters had they not died. Mind you, Dooku is one of the richest men in the whole galaxy as stated in the novel itself, so we know that he could have made anything happen, especially a Sith army. Now, the real question is, which Jedi Master would have conformed to his new rule? I doubt Master Windu would, and I also doubt Master Yoda would, so he'd have a hard time defeating them unless, of course, Palpatine was still in the picture. But that's a question I guess I could ask you guys. So let me know, who do you think would conform to his rule? Perhaps Qui-Gon, if he had not died? How did Anakin beat Dooku so easily in Revenge of the Sith? Dooku was one of the most respected duelists in the galaxy, trained by Master Yoda, master to Qui-Gon Jinn, and known by all for his perfection in the Form 2 fighting style, Makashi. Dooku was one of the only people in the galaxy, apart from Windu and Palpatine, who could keep up with Yoda in a duel. He beat Obi-Wan in Episode 2 and as well here, so why did he lose to young Anakin? First, I'd like to reiterate some text from the Revenge of the Sith novelization in regards to this scene and then we'll go into details as to how Anakin beat him. In the book, Sidious had told Dooku to hold back because he wanted to use Anakin to kill Obi-Wan. And now I quote, Then Sidious, for some reason, decided to intervene. Don't fear what you're feeling, Anakin. Use it, said Palpatine. Call upon your fury. Focus it, and he cannot stand against you. Rage is your weapon. Strike now. Strike! Kill him! Dooku thought blankly, kill me? He found himself wondering in bewildered astonishment if Sidious had suddenly lost his mind. And then, he felt a sickening presentiment that he already knew the answer to that question. Treachery is the way of the Sith. Now, on a side note, irrelevant to the book, Sidious was present, so he could have easily used the Force to hinder or enhance Anakin in some way. Just as he did here with Obi-Wan. Check it out. So, a few things were at play here. At the start, Dooku was told by Sidious to hold back. Once he saw Anakin was not the same fighter as in Episode 2, he had trouble generating enough power to ward off Anakin's newfound abilities in the Form 5, Dem So, 
which is characterized by power attacks and defense immediately followed by a counter-strike. This new variant of his previous Form 5 fighting style used more aggression and domination to press their attacks. One of the advantages of Form 2 is its level of control and one-on-one -on -one domination. Dooku's Form 2 was great for its level of control and one-on-one -on -one domination. However, its downfall was the lack of ability to generate momentum, which, as stated above, is something Skywalker had. Another thing that slips many of our minds is that Anakin's prosthetic arm in this film was extremely overpowered in the sense that he was taking a gun to a knife fight. The robotic arm allowed him to, according to Star Wars The Visual Dictionary, as being much stronger and dexterous than a normal human arm. In the fight, we frequently see Dooku pushed backwards to his surprise by Anakin's heavy strikes. And lastly, again, according to the novel, once Anakin saw Obi-Wan was thrown into the corner unconscious by Dooku, he was able to finally tap into his dark side powers, unafraid of the consequences as this was now a do-or-die moment. This propelled his abilities into a different league for Dooku, who now had to rely on the Force to keep up with Anakin's movements, which were so fast that he couldn't keep track of. His shift to tap into the dark side can be noted in this scene here. I hope this shed some light on how Anakin was able to defeat Dooku for what seemed so easily. Now, I think it makes a little more sense. Hey guys, and welcome to today's new episode. So, in The Phantom Menace, we got the death of Qui-Gon Jinn at the hands of Darth Maul. During the funeral, many highly respected Jedi Masters such as Yoda and Mace Windu were there to pay their respects along with Anakin, Obi-Wan, Queen Amidala, and Palpatine. Now, of all the people that were there, why wasn't Count Dooku? I mean, even Jar Jar was there. Dooku was Qui-Gon's master, and it was his death that helped push Dooku over the edge of committing to leaving the Jedi Council and joining the Sith. So, why wasn't he at the funeral? Because George hadn't thought of him yet until episode 2. Alrighty guys, thank you so much and I will see you- Nah, I'm just kidding. As much as I searched the novels and as much as I wanted to find the answer for this, there isn't one. Plain and simple, there's zero answer to this that I could find. However, I can hypothesize a reasonable answer in Galaxy that would make sense. Dooku at this point in the timeline had just been hit with the news of his former apprentice dying. This drove him over the edge. He was already disillusioned with the Jedi Order for a while now, and he was planning on leaving, but this was what set him off. In the Legends Darth Plagueis novel, he said this to Palpatine before Qui-Gon's demise. Dooku blew out his breath. Perhaps it's something we can discuss in the future. You've made your decision, then, Dooku nodded. If one more Jedi dies because of the indolence on the part of the Republic and moral equivocation on the part of the Council, I will leave the temple and refuse to look back. That right there. Qui-Gon died and it was the final catalyst to make Dooku leave the temple and refuse to look back. The Council's decision to send Obi-Wan and Jin to the fight on Naboo was purely political and not a place to put more Jedi at risk. In the novel, Palpatine asks if Dooku told the Jedi just why he left, whereas Dooku informs him that he was extremely vague with them and didn't give much of an answer due to his utter disgust with them and what the Order had become. If Dooku showed up at Qui-Gon's funeral, he would have been near Yoda, who was his former master, and Mace Windu, who was also Yoda's apprentice, as he was at one point as well. He would have definitely spoken up about the Jedi's meddling with politics and causing the death of Jedi like Qui-Gon Jinn, his apprentice, which would go against his plan of keeping quiet and becoming Darth Tyrannus in the shadows. Now I'm pretty sure if Dooku showed up, and this is purely my speculation, that he would have lashed out with the dark side brewing in him already, now that he wasn't tied to being a Jedi, and he would have possibly fought his former Jedi friends out of anger over Qui-Gon's burning corpse. That really wouldn't have ended well, and it would have tipped them off much quicker as to his allegiance with the dark side, and possibly to connect the dots sooner with his role as the Separatist leader. 
At the very least, they would think that the rule of two would be in order here, and he would be the master to Darth Maul. I wish Count Dooku was in Episode 1. I wish we saw him on the Council when Anakin came into the chambers, at least. I think that would have added much more weight to the storyline, and it could have helped us all connect more with his decision to leave the temple for the direction the Jedi were headed. Which would have also helped us understand Anakin's frustration a lot better, so that he doesn't look like the only one who seemed to have a problem with the Order. The dynamics with the Sith Master and Apprentice were always fought with difficulties by design, in order to force them to achieve ultimate power or suffer the death at hands of each other. The Master would constantly need to increase his own power because, well, if he didn't, his Apprentice would see that as weakness and would kill him. The Apprentice, on the other hand, would always have been striving to increase his own power because if he didn't, then his Master could easily replace him with a stronger and far younger Apprentice. That's exactly what happened with Count Dooku and Anakin with Darth Sidious in Episode 3. The Jedi didn't have this problem because they fostered the idea of mentorship. The Master never worried that his apprentice would try to kill him, so his journey for greater power was in an effort to impart that knowledge onto his apprentice. The apprentice likewise didn't have to worry about being replaced, and so the Jedi's quest for power was very selfless and not motivated by self-preservation. So, what does this have to do with Plagueis and Sidious? In the Legends book, Darth Plagueis, there is a time when Darth Sidious, who we know to be the greatest Sith Lord of all time, is actually worried that his master, Darth Plagueis, will replace Sidious with none other than Jedi Master Dooku. Dooku at the time was still a Jedi Master and was extremely well renowned for his swordsmanship. He didn't dress like the other Jedi either. In fact, he dressed like a nobleman, with flowing capes and pressed pants like we see in Episode 2. He also was a Count by birth. And even though he had given up that title long ago, he was still a fine diplomat. And for Plagueis, it was still a tempting part of Dooku's persona that he could potentially regain the Count title at any time. Most importantly though, his power in the Force was unmistakable. Even Plagueis was a little worried that Dooku would be able to see through him when they met. And that's something that nobody else could do, because the Sith had become so adept over the centuries at hiding their Force abilities for the Jedi. Palpatine, of course, is the master at this, since when he was Supreme Chancellor, he could hide his Sith identity from the entire Jedi Council. But back to Darth Plagueis and Dooku. Plagueis was generally very happy with Palpatine as his apprentice, but after Sidious had nearly failed to assassinate a senator and almost exposed the Sith, Plagueis became newly interested in Dooku. During a meeting that both Plagueis and Dooku attended on Sereno, we get inside the Sith's head about all of this. The book reads, Plagueis felt certain that Sidious would evolve into a commanding Sith, but just now the young Naboo was drunk with power and prone to making mistakes. When the Dark recognized one as a true ally, a novice could lose his or her way. Bane, adoring Sith masters like Plagueis' master, Darth Tenebris, might have used the meeting with Dooku as a means of threatening their apprentices with replacement. Plagueis, however, had no such intention, which was why he hadn't mentioned to Sidious that Jedi would be attending the meeting. Even so, he found himself wondering whether a dissatisfied Jedi like Dooku could be insurance against a reversal of fortune, some unexpected event that would rob him of Sidious, or perhaps turn to the dark without formal enlistment and manipulated into instigating a schism in the Order. As he had told Sidious, even a trained Jedi could succumb to the lure of the dark side on his or her own. This meeting leads to some big developments in the grand plan of the Sith, which I'm going to cover in another video. But Dooku and Plagueis don't stop here. 
Later, Palpatine is on Coruscant talking with Jedi Master Dooku and other Jedi, when his master, under the guise of Higo Damask, comes up walking to them and greets Master Dooku like an old friend. Palpatine is pretty surprised by this because he didn't know that they knew each other, nor that they had ever sat in a meeting with each other or discussed anything at length. Why would his master keep such a secret from him? A meeting with Jedi seems like something a Sith master would share with his apprentice, right? Palpatine began to worry that his master was planning to replace him with clearly the more powerful Jedi Master Dooku, who even Sidious recognized as extremely adept in the Force. Sidious remembers that his master had told him that Sith Lords were not always raised as Sith, but that sometimes they were fallen Jedi. Could Dooku be persuaded to turn to the dark side after walking in the light for so long? It certainly seemed possible, and to Sidious it seemed like Plagueis could be thinking about doing that with Dooku. Now let's think about what we talked about at the beginning of this video, that the dynamics between a Sith Master and Apprentice were always fraught with tension over who's the most powerful of the two. Sidious knew that he would eventually have to take over his master. After all, it was the way of the Sith, a master to embody the power and an apprentice to crave it until the time when the master was no longer more powerful. So over the years, Sidious himself would also foment a relationship with Jedi Master Dooku, in an effort to ensure Dooku's allegiance to him instead of Darth Plagueis. Sidious would also put into motion his grand plan to destroy his master, become Supreme Chancellor himself, and become the great master of the Sith and rule the galaxy as the master rather than the apprentice. As soon as distrust entered into the relationship between Sidious and Plagueis, things begin to unravel. And honestly, Sidious always planned to kill Plagueis from the beginning. That, and Plagueis had become so obsessed with unlocking the mysteries of midi-chlorians and propelling his apprentice to be Supreme Chancellor, that Plagueis never stood a chance against Darth Sidious. And so when Sidious finally decided to kill him, there was no escaping his destiny to die. So, what do you guys think? How do you think the events of the galaxy would have changed if Dooku were to have replaced Sidious as Darth Plagueis' apprentice? It actually may have been pretty similar to what we currently have. Dooku was a statesman just like Palpatine and could have become the Supreme Chancellor himself, especially with his Jedi roots. But it begs the question of who then would have become the leader of the Confederacy of Independent Systems? Or even if the war would have been necessary, if Dooku would have become the Supreme Chancellor, could he have somehow sown discord with the Jedi Order? Could he have dissolved them? Could he have turned the galaxy against the Jedi, with undisclosed secrets of the Jedi that didn't want the galaxy to know about? Undoubtedly, if Sidious was replaced by Dooku, the fate of the galaxy would have been quite different. At the very least, we would have gotten a pretty awesome fight between Sidious, Plagueis, and Dooku, and that's something that I really would have loved to have seen. Maybe for a fan film someday, who knows? Hey everyone, how are you all doing today? So when episode 2 Attack of the Clones hit theaters in 2002, we were introduced to a new Sith Lord, and one of my favorites, Darth Tyrannus, aka Count Dooku, aka the Count of Sereno. His power was crazy when he dominated Anakin and Obi-Wan, and then he went toe-to-toe -to -toe against Yoda, which was the first time that we saw Yoda use his lightsaber in the movies. I mean, I remember, I was 12 years old, it was crazy in the theater, everyone was going nuts, they were clapping, they were cheering, and it was definitely an awesome memory that I have. I remember thinking, wow, 
You know, he's so powerful. Now, almost 20 years later, we're finally learning more about that master and apprenticeship in the new canon audiobook, Dooku Jedi Lost. You guys have heard me talk about it before. It's really a fun audiobook, and I really enjoy it. In it, we learn why Yoda, who was the Grand Master of the Jedi Order and normally didn't take his own Padawan, chose to personally train, initiate Dooku, and that Dooku originally wanted to be trained by another Jedi Master. Prior to Yoda, Dooku had his eyes set on a Jedi Master named Lin Costana, a Altiri female who served the Jedi prior to the events of Episode 1. Dooku wanted to be trained by her because of her expertise in Sith artifacts. Dooku was fascinated with them and even snuck into the Jedi archives one night with Cyclodeus to look at some. The whole part in the audiobook gave me a very Harry Potter vibe and it was something that was definitely fun to listen to. Master Costana shared Dooku's obsession and she went around the galaxy locating and analyzing Sith and Dark Side artifacts so that the Jedi could prepare for the inevitable return of the Sith. She believed that the Sith would return sooner and the Jedi needed to be ready, a view that the rest of the Jedi didn't share, especially Grandmaster Yoda and the rest of the Jedi Council. Now Yoda believed that finding relics was unnecessary and could potentially lead to the dark side. He especially disagreed with Master Costana that younglings and Padawans needed to be prepared for a potential return of the Sith. He believed that they wouldn't come back. Her fascination with these artifacts was so strong that Dooku even accused her to be a secret Sith when he was still a youngling, a claim that he later learned to be incorrect, but also strengthened his desire to be trained by her. If a Jedi can learn from the dark side and resists its call like she was doing, he wanted to learn it too. So when it came time for the masters to choose their apprentice, Dooku was ready. At this time of the Jedi Order, younglings paired off to have a lightsaber duel with each other in front of the masters, and the masters would be guided by the force in selecting the Padawan that they wanted to train. Dooku wanted to impress Master Costana, so he fought and defeated his friend, Sifo-Dyas, with one hand behind his back and blindfolded. To his surprise though, Master Costana selected sifo as her apprentice. How could she do this? It was outrageous, it was unfair, and he knew that she felt a connection with him over the quest for Sith artifacts, but she still chose another. His anger was tempered though when Yoda surprisingly chose him as a Padawan. While it wasn't against the Jedi Code for members of the Jedi Council to take Padawans of their own, it was rarely ever done except in emergencies, because the nature of their work would separate Master and Apprentice, often, and would be fair to both. However, Dooku would indeed become Yoda's first Padawan in quite some time. When his training with Yoda begins, Dooku finds Yoda meditating in the courtyard. Dooku tries to get his attention, but Yoda doesn't respond. Dooku figures he doesn't want his meditation disturbed, so he leaves and comes back the next day to find Yoda still meditating and still ignoring him. Dooku comes back day after day and is ignored for an entire month, his anger rising and rising each day until he pulls out trees from their roots to get Yoda's attention. Now this part in the audiobook was really sweet because he actually like manipulates mud to make it look like sculptures and is basically just doing anything to impress Yoda at this point. Yoda finally opens his eyes and simply asks Dooku if Dooku is ready to begin his training. So the start of Dooku's apprenticeship is full of trolling and starts with a bang. During the course of his training, Yoda often had Dooku go on missions with other Jedi so Yoda could remain on Coruscant for his Grandmaster duties. On one occasion, Dooku got to join Master Costana and sifo to track down a relic where they were ambushed by a dark side sect and are about to be sacrificed as part of a dark side ritual. Dooku experiences a series of visions of his future and uses force lightning for the first time in order to kill the captors. This surprises Master Costana, but she lets her obsession with the dark side overcome her better Jedi judgment. And she says they should keep this a secret between them and not tell Master Yoda. Check out my other video on 
on that to learn more about it. So even though Master Kostana was not his official master, she mentored the young Dooku unlike any other Jedi. She once even told him a story about a Sith Lord named Darth Sikaya as a lesson to test the young Jedi and told him that this Sith Lord had used a curved lightsaber. So now we know where Dooku came up with the idea and probably, partially, why he used one. Of course, it also helped him with his unique fencing style. So if Master Kostana was going to mentor the young Dooku anyways, why did Yoda feel the need to take on the extra burden of training a Padawan? It's something that Dooku asked himself on more than one occasion, even confiding with Sifo Dyas when he said, For as long as I can remember, I felt as if I don't belong. Don't say that, replied Sifo. You are the most accomplished Padawan in a generation. Everyone says so. You say so most of the time. As long as I've known you, you've strived to be the best. No, actually, it's more than that. You've known that you are the best. Remember when Yoda chose you as his Padawan? The others were surprised, but not me. It made complete sense. Yoda would want to shape you. Dooku quickly responds, what if I don't want to be shaped? Everyone is so sure of my future. Yoda, the council, I'll become a knight one day and take a Padawan of my own, become a master, join the council, and then what? Rule the galaxy, says sifo incredulously. Dooku looks at him confidently and says, I could. Now what I love about this conversation is how much it foreshadows a similar conversation that Anakin and Padme will have years later, where he says that someone should rule the galaxy. It also foreshadows Dooku's rise to leader of the Confederacy in the Clone Wars, linking these two characters and their lust for power very well. But this conversation between Dooku and sifo also tells us two reasons why Yoda chose to personally train Dooku. One, because Dooku had the potential to be one of the most powerful Jedi in years, and Yoda was the best equipped to train such a raw power, himself being the most powerful Jedi in the Order. The second reason is because Yoda sensed Dooku's arrogance and his fascination with the dark side. Yoda only trusted himself to train him. Dooku's fall to the dark side is an intriguing one, and it amazes me how it affects the way Yoda approaches Anakin's training all those years later. Hey guys, so in Star Wars, we all know that Count Dooku was a Jedi Master, far before he turned to the dark side. Apprentice to Master Yoda, he later went on to be the master of Qui-Gon Jinn, who trained Obi-Wan. At some point during his career as a Jedi Master, he felt it was necessary to leave the Order and join the Sith Lord Darth Sidious, who we all know is Palpatine. Now, the passage that I'm gonna read is from The Labyrinth of Evil. It's a Legends novel now, and it takes place when Obi-Wan basically asked Master Yoda just why Dooku left the Order and turned to the the dark side. It's a pretty long passage, so I'm gonna stop talking and get to the scene for you. Here we go. I've heard rumors about Dooku's early fascination with the dark side. Was there not an incident in the temple involving a stolen Sith holocron? Yoda squeezed his eyes shut and nodded. True, that rumor is. But understand, Obi-Wan, a Jedi Dooku was for many, many years. Difficult the decision is to leave the Order. Influenced he was by many things. The death of your former master, for one. Even though avenged Qui-Gon was. He glanced at Obi-Wan. Complicated this is. Not merely by what we know, but by what we do not. What we have to assume. Yoda stopped, then gestured to a carved bench. Sit for a while. We will enlighten you. I can. Obi-Wan sat, his heart wanting to race. A stern master Dooku was to Qui-Gon and others. Powerful he was, skilled, disdainful, more important, convinced that lowering the shroud of the dark side was. Signs there were all about us, long before the temple you came, long before Qui-Gon came. Gross injustices. 
favoritism, corruption. More and more called the Jedi were to enforce the peace. More and more deaths there were. Did the Council sense that the Sith had returned? Never absent they were, Obi-Wan, but stronger, suddenly, closer to the surface, spoke much of the prophecy Dooku did. The prophecy of the Chosen One. The larger prophecy that unfold the dark times would. Born into their midst, the Chosen One is, to return balance to the Force. Anakin, Obi-Wan said. Yoda regarded him for a long moment. Difficult to say. Maybe yes. Maybe no. More important, the Shroud of the Dark Side is. Many discussions. Bound together, Dooku was, with Master Sifo-Dyas. Close friends they were, but worried about Master Dooku, Sifo was. Worried about his disenchantment with the Republic, about self-absorption among the Jedi. Saw in Dooku the effects of Qui-Gon's death. Yoda shook his head mournfully. Knew of Dooku's imminent departure, Master Sifo-Dyas did. Sensed he may have the birth of this separatist movement. And yet the Council dismissed Dooku as an idealist, Obi-Wan said. Yoda gazed at the floor. Saw with my own eyes what he had become, and refused to believe it. I did. But how could Dooku have searched out Sidious, or was it the other way around? Impossible to know. But accept Sidious as a mentor, Dooku did. Could sifo have foreseen that as well? Also impossible to know. Believed he might have that Sidious Dooku would hunt down to destroy. Could that have motivated Dooku to leave the Order? Perhaps. But by the power of the dark side, even the most steadfast heart can be seduced. So obviously there's a ton to take away from this long passage. I wanted to include just a paragraph or so, but as I kept reading the book, it was just all too important to just chop out and summarize. So Yoda basically felt and understood that Dooku left the Order because he felt the Jedi were becoming too corrupt in politics. Then it was the death of his pupil, Qui-Gon Jinn, and then throughout all of that, Sidious was manipulating him to turn to the dark side and become his pawn, essentially, leading the Separatist army at his helm. It was basically just one event after the other that dipped Dooku further into the path of leaving the Jedi and joining the dark side. I wonder if Dooku would have fully turned had Qui-Gon not died. While he was close already to turning, I think Qui-Gon's murder was what pushed him over the edge and cemented him further into the dark side way of life even more. That and of course Palpatine's brilliant manipulations on his mind. Dooku was one of my favorites as well. His mastery with the lightsaber and his cunning sense of humor during battles was something that I always enjoyed. Calm, confident, experienced, and battlefield veteran. Dooku is one anthology film or at least comic series that I'd really like to see. So let me know what you guys thought of Master sifo and Dooku's relationship. Thanks for watching everyone, and I will see you all in the next episode of Star Wars Theory. Until then, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, remember, the Force will be with you always. Oh,